Now, hum, hum a little background music. One of you? Anybody want to do a little? Hello. And welcome to the the podcast that we do. The Movie Overload podcast. Where we go through the history of cinema. From a trip to the moon to Parasite. And everything in between. Except for Woody Allen. Fuck him. Fuck him. My name is Weave, and and with me as always are my delightful friends, Aiden, Anna, and Hunter. Hey, I'm back from vacation. Yay! Hooray! Fun times. Hooray. It's been it's been a few years since you've been on at this point, but we're it's, happy yeah, to have you back. Yeah, it's been like back. twenty years, I think. I think so. It might have yeah, two decades. Yikes! Yeah. Well, oh no, no, it's been about a decade because you were still in the '60s. You're there for the sound of music, and you're the one oh, yeah. who started us all complaining about how interminably long all the movies were in the 1960s. <laughs> was that the was that the last one that you were on? Was Sound of Music, or was that yes? Was Andre Rublev after that? Andrew Rublev. Oh, was Andre Rublev was after that because oh, was it? Okay. Sound of Music was at school, and Andre Rublev was here, so mm. therefore mm-hmm. that was the last one I did. It's movie. Well, some of those movies you might have enjoyed. And some of those movies you definitely wouldn't have. So well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So don't uh, probably don't. Want to watch don't... Oh, that might be fine. It's ooh, probably not going to be your ooh, thing. Ooh, but like, don't watch I The mean... Graduate. Oh yeah, I think I I read the synopsis of that and was like, cool. Yeah, I think I told you the whole synopsis. Yeah. Like, oh, you did. That's what I was thinking. I did a little synopsis rant about yeah. how I didn't like it That's very much, yeah. but. Overall, it's fine. It's just one of my least favorite movies we've covered. But it's speaking of things whatever. that we did like, this Whoa. movie was the most precious thing ever in the world. Yeah. I think we liked it. I think that's fair to say. At least I think that I can say that I liked it, and I haven't I heard from what Aiden's controversial opinion is. But it's not very controversial. I thought it was fine. I just don't like salespeople who sell things, and that does extend to con people who con things. Uh, because it is the sort of aggressive social interaction I find very unpleasant. Mm-hmm. The movie was cute, but the the people made me scared. I mean, I feel like uh, that's the correct reaction, at least to some extent. Well, I think that I liked the way that she was a little baby socialist. <laughs> True. Yes. And she's kind of dividing the wealth a little. Can we talk about the fact that she's actually his daughter in real life? Yeah. Wait, really? <laughs> I realized so that after. Yeah. yeah. Really? Also, Aww. can we also talk about the fact that Ryan O'Neill needs to be like top of the list of like hot men that we've seen so far I'm, I'm in sorry, this podcast? The, the term is pod daddies. Pod daddy number one <laughs> is all I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, I guess I have seen him in stuff before. He's in Knight three. of Cups. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still have Orson Welles top of list. Yeah, no, Orson Welles is up there. Um, did we have, we had some other pod daddies, I think. (laughs) You were, you were partial to, um. There we go. That's good. That's the point. You were, you were partial to, uh, the guy from Lawrence of Arabia, though. Me? No, Lawrence O'Toole. I, I was. Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Toole. Yeah. Whatever. So there, there are some, but I would say, I would say we can stick Ryan O'Neill up there. He's an attractive man. Very much. He's not... He's like, okay. But he sells fake Bibles to widows, though. They were real Bibles. Oh, oh, yeah, but he was overselling them. 
uh, oh, yeah. until the girl oh, man. Uh, made was him like, oversell them more. <laughs> no, to the rich woman. Nobody cares. She had pearls. She was very happy. She gave them five extra dollars yeah. on top of the twenty-five dollars she charged them, <sighs> and then real. she gave the poor family the Bible for free. Yeah, which I appreciated. That is, she was good. That's how prices in this in this world should work. It, it should be based off of. Um, what kind of jewelry you have on? Yes. No, but I mean, I do think that like, it's probably okay if somebody who has zero dollars and zero cents gets a mug for free and somebody who is Jeff Bezos pays $40 for a mug. I don't have a problem with that. Is that Has it? everyone seen Bo Burnham's Inside? Not yet. Yay. Shameless plug for it's the good. two Jeffrey Bezos songs. <laughs> Nice. Good time. I'm gonna watch it. Please do. It's very good. Oh. Anyway, but that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this very cute movie called Paper Moon. That's true. I'm, I think that you are correct in that that is the topic of our podcast. So I have a question. The little byline thing in the letterboxed bio, I guess, says these aren't everyday people and this is no ordinary movie. What do you think that means? Because to me, I was kind of like, well, yeah, like they're not everyday people, but this is kind of like an ordinary, like cute con man type movie. What do you guys think it means? Well, not for the era. Well, so here's actually, 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 fuck it. I hate myself. Uh, No. So this is very. This felt very like 1950s to me. Like aesthetically, like it felt like a movie about the 1950s being made about like late 30s, early 40s, America. And I, I the tagline's weird, but it kind of feels like, hey, so this is the sort of movie that uh, people wished they could have made when Hollywood was a bit more morally restrictive, and could have shown con men. And people uh, who are not accepted as much by society in a positive light, mm-hmm. because we have a um, uh, a sex worker and uh, uh, she's a dancer. No, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she works in that big tent. That just makes me think of like that old Twilight Zone episode. And then Ten says something about in. harems, doesn't it? Yeah. And slave women it, who it, are all white. That's how she's like branded, yeah, as like a circus attraction. It's one of those circus attraction things. But no, there's like this old Twilight Zone episode where this guy goes into one of those tents. There's just the woman and uh, she's dancing regular like, but... There's a slit in her skirt, and then she pulls out her leg, and it's scandalous. And that's just what I imagine was going on inside the tent. Ah! It's just dancing. And he went but to see it at least leg. six times. Okay, but like, yeah. if this movie had been made in the era that it's pretending that it was made in, she never could have mentioned her "quote unquote" big tits. Well, exactly. <laughs> so, or her bone structure. I mean, that's true. Structure. Bone structure would be a very inappropriate thing to mention in a 1950s film. Again, and Robert Mitchum like, would have absolutely just <laughs> murdered her in the Night yeah, of the Hunter. Did it? Yeah, it did stand out again for yeah, just being more open. I feel like about because yeah, like it feeling kind of like an older movie, but again, yeah, just feeling more open about like sex and again their use of language and swears and 
It's really funny the when occasional Jesus the Christ. kid said she needs to use the shit house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the cop like, was oh, like, man. they're just like, yeah, okay. Oh, uh, sure. I guess that kind of is a good segue, Hunter, into what we were kind of texting about before recording this oh. about the misogyny that is definitely here and whether mm. or not it's social commentary or just like, it was a movie of the times, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And pointing out these. I guess themes that are where the director is doing things that he wouldn't have been able to do in the fifties, but it feels like a movie Mm. being made in the fifties about the thirties instead of in the seventies about the thirties, if that makes sense. Well, like what are the, those, those standard tropes for, for women? There's like the, the crone or the harlot or the virgin or something, right? There's, well, there are a lot of, there's the Madonna whore, which is, uh, Trixie Delight. Uh, that there are different categories and things, uh, but, but like generally, Trixie Delight history, is. There are those three, right? Like I could see that. Yeah. So there's the the virginal young innocent, the promiscuous uh, uh, other, and then there is like the mother figure who is. Uh, sexless though not the innocent um mm-hmm. and so and i think that like innocent thing kind of is like good wife bad other person who the husband is having an affair with too that's the thing they did in movies right yeah the husband's a jackass and is cheating on his wife but it's the other woman's fault because she has sex a and stuff mm. and bone structure bones. and bone structure, structure. Oh. and big tits man um yeah i think it's it is weird because you kind of do see all those tropes but like also they're kind of subverted in some ways well not really it's mainly just the fact that like the main character is a very intelligent and like very strong-willed young girl but otherwise it's like no i mean you have the like the prostitute type character who is pretty much just in the wrong and bad and evil and then you have the fact that they're going door to door just talking to like widows and wives and conning them because that's easy and then a man comes to the front door and it's like oh boy now things are real and challenging because, you know, women are stupid. Well, and no, then... he's a sheriff. That was the only reason it was challenging. But I al- yeah. it felt also like... I I didn't read that, that I, way. I don't but... know. I didn't read it as... I just read it as he was a dude. And then... I'll... Mm. Because, because the standard had just been... He had a sheriff's Well, and I read it also like he got it wrong because he's only been talking to widows up until now. And so when the dude comes to the door, it's like, ah, oh, man, this isn't a widow, which means I'm dealing with a whole different ball game. Like, I have oh, to he's quickly really change bad at lying too. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, but it I seemed also... like it was, I don't know. And maybe I'm wrong, but it did seem like the way that that was reading to me the whole time was like, it was specifically like the women are easy pickings. And the reason why they're easy pickings is because you can say, well, your husband wanted to get this for you, and they'll be like, "Oh, that is so sweet." I, I, well, 
It, it, I don't know. He, it felt I, they were both challenging his narrative, though, right? Because they were like, right. oh, you talked to him two weeks ago? And it's the sheriff. It's because right. he was talking to the sheriff because the sheriff was in there and the sheriff's the person who could directly get him in trouble. And you're like, oh, no. Yeah. I was talking to my Mark and now the sheriff's here. Yeah. I also I don't know if that's subverting the tropes, though. I mean, I guess you were playing into a trope when like when you're talking about Trixie. But I definitely read her as a tragic character. Yeah, more than no. Anything She's not else. Evil. Like the girl just doesn't like her. Because... The girl just doesn't like her, and then she, like, it's Addie who is selling Trixie. I mean, obviously, like, Trixie sells herself, and that's part of the story, but, like, it's Addie who has contrived this whole thing, and Trix. I mean, like, obviously, Trixie isn't innocent. It Like, she agrees to it, it's theoretically consensual, like, okay, mm-hmm. but I definitely read her as, like, I don't know, what she says to Addie when she's trying to convince her to get back in the in the car on top of the hill Mm -hmm. and she's like i know me like times are hard i'm not going to be able to stay with him for a long time because that's just like who i am i can't help Mm -hmm. it and then it's i don't know i definitely read her as a tragic character who maybe is a victim of these tropes of like there's the guy that's gonna stare at her ass all the way up the stairs and then the other person and like regardless of her attachment with moe's like the hotel mm-hmm. guy is still gonna like look at her that way and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like I don't know I, f- I feel like she's a the more that I'm talking about it the more that I think it's uh, social commentary in a really disguised way about mm-hmm. Trixie's yeah. character and how Addie plays into that and yeah yeah, yeah I don't know okay that, that is helpful because that's what I was mm-hmm. trying to figure out when watching it is like it is kind of touching on these tropes but is it trying to subvert them or comment on them or not and i found it kind of challenging to tell but i think you guys make a good case for it i think the big thing here is that it treats all of these different people who are the villains of movies that were made back in the 30s and 40s as sympathetic characters Mm -hmm. who have sympathetic Hmm. motivations and i mean like the biggest knock i think against um uh Trixie is her treatment of Ida mm-hmm. because yeah. she's like, hey, uh, I'm going to pay you $4 a week. Uh, and then she doesn't pay her like at all. Mm-hmm. But also she's relying on the fact that the world, the society in that time is still so racist that Ida can't strike it out on her own. Uh, she's kind of trapped with Trixie because she has like no resources and no way to get back to her mom. Right. Yeah. It I I uh, Yeah. It was like all of this would feel very different and not okay had this movie been made like 20 years earlier because it it would have been done a little bit differently, but I this I'm trying to set my finger on exactly what this reminds me of i i think it's like those adult swim like parodies of sitcoms like uh too many cooks sort of things right where they Mm -hmm. take the innocence of a thing from the past and they introduce things that are shocking within that context and i think that's kind of what this movie is doing for the time yeah that's why like this the, the whole why the tagline says this isn't like your ordinary story 
I think when this was released, this was intended to be much more provocational and like kind of putting things that would be shocking in this context. Now, I don't know. I might be reading this all wrong, but it feels like that's kind of the driving force of this movie because you're like, oh, there's a just a, a sex worker and we're following a, a con man who has a daughter who smokes. She like sits in the bed and like smokes and, and that's yeah. just like, whoa, a smoking child? He cares about it. <laughs> He's like, stop. Don't do that in the car. Don't do that in the car. Yeah. Yeah. It. I mean, yeah, I guess that's that's the vibe that it gives off. And I think that's why it it works as well as it does. Because I don't... Yeah, I don't know that a movie made in America earlier in the timeline would have been able to handle any of these things in a way that wasn't upsetting in th- that way. Ida's character especially, I think we would not have ended up with nearly as sweet or sympathetic as of a character mm-hmm. that seems like, you know, she has a character. She's fairly rounded. She has opinions. She is opinionated, but she isn't like, she isn't looked down upon. She's like Abby, uh, Addie's friend mm-hmm. sort of. She takes on Addie's friend role. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am. So did Addie, trick ida out of 30 dollars because they have the whole she, how no. did she get she promised that she would get her 30 dollars to get back to her mom how did she get the 30 dollars within the plan that they accomplished i, just I think she just screen. paid her out of the family i think pot. so that's what i oh, did they yeah i mean oh. i expected her to trick somebody out of it and then she didn't so i was like i guess she just paid her well that's what you have to assume yeah. but it isn't like i i saw no reason to think that that did not happen yeah i mean that that fits within her character to do that yeah um she just the way she was talking it might sound like oh this plan is gonna get you away from her and also get you 30 bucks mm. and I, i'm like oh how's he gonna get the 30 bucks and that never came up i'm like yeah i just like i saw her making a business decision of being like all right i'm gonna pay what is it 55 dollars to like get this person out of my life, get that person mm. safe home and like get my life back on track. I guess and I 200 can start... of those dollars were hers. Yes. <laughs> because that, that is, that is, that is a core the feature. Plot of yeah. the movie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want my $200. Somebody uh, explain. It's Cody Island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. This movie is cute and I liked it. And, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's the thing is when I was I was watching it and I was seeing a lot of those things that seemed like tropes, I was like, because I enjoyed, I wasn't sure if it was like, because I'm enjoying the movie, I want to give it the leeway. You know what I mean? Of the benefit of the doubt of that it's mm-hmm. commenting on these things or if it's just problematic. But I appreciate this conversation for that because I feel like it is commentary. Uh, why do I keep doing... I'm bad. I'm bad at microphones. I make noises before I talk, and I annoy myself when I listen back through these episodes. But, Mike... So how are we supposed to read? Read movies for uh, whether or not s- representation well, of certain peoples is appropriate or not, as uh, oftentimes people who are not members of that group because we have a lot of arguments about this. Somebody comes in saying, I think this is 
a distinctly uh, bad film in the representation of such person who is in the film, right? Because we mentioned that a lot. And then we have detractors. So what? how do we actually decide whether or not this is like a sympathetic and decent portrayal of like sex workers in film, especially like within the context of its time? Yeah. And Be- I mean, I don't know. I think they're... I still think there there are probably questions that can be raised about a lot of these things. And I don't know. That's the interesting thing is I don't feel like you can just go based off of intention, obviously, in this kind of thing. Like, it may be, it it seems pretty obvious that it was, I guess, intending to to do something different and subversive in, in a positive light. But whether or not it actually achieves that, you just kind of have to look at what is there. But also, if we're not the people to really say... I'm just the very curious are, yeah. because I think I, I did, and I don't know about Anna, but from what she said so far, it sounds a bit like th- I read the film as being fairly sympathetic, if not entirely sympathetic, to like all of the members of the core cast, acknowledging their flaws, but as like parts of their character and not like yeah. knocks against their type of person. But you seemed distinctly more cynical well, I think as to the interpretation. Because because of the way that the plot is structured. Because I think uh, that, um, like, and I guess it depends on how you want to read movies or whatever. And there are different ways to do it. But I guess I kind of tend to read a movie, especially like this, that follows specific tropes as the plot is what, justifies the character or whatever and if that makes sense like because because our main character pushes um trixie out of the picture mm-hmm. successfully yeah and there's no active consequence for that only things only get better it seems like therefore it's making trixie into like either a a, a lesser character or else like an obstacle to overcome more than anything else. And you can read from a character perspective that she is sympathetic because that that's totally there and that's in the dialogue mm-hmm. and et cetera. But is, is the film ultimate ultimately like kind of villainizing her, even though she's a sympathetic character because our, our quote unquote heroes are victorious in, in getting her away. You know what I mean? Well, structurally, she serves the purpose of a, a minor antagonist. She is an mm-hmm. obstacle uh, on the character's journey from A to B. As uh, Ad- Addie is trying to get get closer to Mose, and Mose is overcoming his selfishness and like s- certain tendencies to get closer to Addie. But I don't think that someone being an antagonist. Mm-hmm. is necessarily any knock on their moral character or how the film portrays their moral character. That's fair. Because all that is as a function of the story is just an obstacle. And so you especially like you have obstacles and they can like have points and you can have like Killmonger in Black Panther <laughs> and you're like, yeah, so you sort of have points but also you sort of have negative things and you can kind of acknowledge that. Yeah, I... I guess I want to kind of reiterate what's already been said and uh, synthesize it uh, because I think 
you're right about sympathy as being really important and it's important to me when I look at characters to see like how are you being treated are you being um presented in a way that is maybe like honoring to what you're going through and so I think that sympathy is important and having Trixie be a Mm. character that I can emotionally sympathize with and be like oh man like that's really hard like your lifestyle your emotional like trauma like I can sympathize with you um that's really important but I think you do have a good point about the plot kind of also revealing how the writers slash directors slash era treat people um but I think it's also worth noting that in this this is like a con man movie and so in a Mm. lot of like con men stories it's the people that would normally be lauded as the heroes that are the villains so i'm thinking about like law enforcement or Mm -hmm. like protective things put in place as protections are the bad guys in con men movies so obviously Mm -hmm. that doesn't apply to trixie because she isn't in that position anyway Mm -hmm. but the fact that it's a con movie anyway kind of subverts any opinion that we would like the law and order is on its head already Mm, because we're rooting for the quote-unquote bad guy yeah um yeah but also the cops act kind of well that's why i didn't specifically want to mention the cops in this movie because the cops are really corrupt which could also be social commentary um but Mm -hmm. i would like to i read this movie as a little bit of kind of like a slapstick kids movie almost like i wouldn't want to show it to my kids when they were young Mm -hmm. just because there is like some interesting sexual content but one of the things that makes me feel like the director was playing for like as we've already mentioned like in the 70s pretending it's the 50s making a movie about the 30s so playing to the time quote unquote Mm -hmm. but giving trixie I don't know i'm just thinking about that like 20 30 seconds where addy and ida were listening through the door and hearing mm-hmm. what was happening between mm-hmm. trixie and what's his face mm-hmm. and the what we were hearing was a little bit of violence maybe some like like he's going really fast and she's kind of like whoa 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 mm-hmm. slow down ah. mm-hmm. But also, I agree to this kind of thing. And so to me, that kind of makes me feel better in a weird way about the choice of Trixie's character. Because it's not just her being like, oh, hello, like, come on in. I'm so glad you're here. Like, let's do this. Where she's just kind of like, fine, come in, slow down, stop. Like, it gives me more sympathy for her. And it makes me feel better in a really weird way about yeah i did i did miss that bit because i was like distracted <laughs> so i didn't You're hear what happened watching i didn't move. hear what happened through the door because there was something else so actually in my life this is a really interesting bit though of the movie because i isn't it really weird how that interaction goes down because he the bellhop dude at the hotel doesn't know that he is uh basically hiring a prostitute right he doesn't know he has been told that this woman finds him sort of interesting right and she wants to like (laughs) see him uh 
at some point and she sees it as a transaction and he sees it as an actual like oh she wants me here and yet he goes that fast exactly it's not like oh he's a bit nervous he's like because he thinks she wants it well that's how it's been framed for him for him it's framed sort of as like a date like oh she finds you a bit Hot. And that's like to, his first thing. He goes into the room go th- instead of saying hi, he like starts yeah. ripping her clothes off. And After like, he takes his clothes off, to be fair. I I guess, yeah. And he's like, uh mm. yeah, she's no, not that saying no very... at this point. So I guess he's like, this is full steam ahead. Yeah, yeah, that does not um So, like, even though it feels really weird and, like, it's uncomfortable, like, it was uncomfortable watching here and uncomfortable to think about, something about Trixie's character in that moment makes me feel like the director had more sympathy for her Mm -hmm. and sex workers and the position that she was in, in a way that wasn't just, like, the trope Mm -hmm. of the promiscuous woman, but kind of, like, hey... Trixie's a person yeah. that has feelings and is being tricked by the world into leaving someone that would actually yeah. care for her. Yeah, not having, like, ha- having kind of missed that bit uh-huh. makes a lot more It's sense. an important yeah. bit. Yeah, no, that, <laughs> yeah. that says a lot. Yeah. Although I also would like to bring up that I I, I think that that uh, Moses is, is, is a bit of a fuckboy in this here especially towards Trixie because his whole thing he goes to a carnival he watches a strip show essentially six times at least at least and then he gets talking with one of the performers who gets fired for standing up against a uh man who is wanting to yeah a man who's wanting to just take advantage of her mm-hmm. and like have her sleep with all his friends because he runs the the joint and he gives her a ride and it's it seems to be implicit through all of this that he is expecting her to strike up some sort of sexual and or romantic relationship with him because he is being a, a nice kind person in this circumstance mm-hmm. and she's strong enough as a character that she's just not putting right. up with that but the reason why he leaves is because he sees her like he, he putting out putting, as they say yeah for someone else because Addie has staged this whole thing because she knows it will get to him but isn't yeah. isn't yeah, that like she's pointing out she's you know, Addie is using that whole scenario to point out to Moses that it he is being conned because mm-hmm. the, he's expecting something that's not going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Which has basically been told to her by Trixie. She's like, I use, for better or worse, I use my body to get where I want. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is. And so it's like, okay, cool. You know what Moses expects of you and <laughs> probably have no plans to get at to. Yeah. So, yeah, she, so she has no here interest you go. in him. Uh, here's the, uh, here's, here it goes. Very here's plain. 25 bucks. Get out of my life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh Hearing in, in a movie that like looks so old, hearing the phrase "putting out" multiple times was a very odd experience. Um, yep. Mm. Just as a side note, but yeah, no, that is interesting because I, 
Yeah, I, I guess it like, and and I guess this sort of reveals, I think, flaws in, in the way that I'm trying to read films sometimes mm-hmm. is like, it's very easy for me to have sympathy for characters, mm-hmm. but it's also not always intended in the picture mm-hmm. in like, as far as, as what the actual film is giving you a lot of times they're painting characters that I am sympathetic to in a mm-hmm. negative light. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, I think it doesn't actually do any justice to a film to talk about what I think somebody might be intending to do with something as opposed to what they actually are doing. Well, I do. I actually think that that is a very admirable, admirable quality because that is like one of the base things that helps spawn like queer theory as an entire form of like cinematic debate and reading because it started off with queer people watching movies with queer quote coded villains because that's the only way that they could get queer characters in the movies Mm -hmm. and reading them sympathetically and getting all in on the disney villains and on like (laughs) the the comically evil dude from the maltese falcon who is just insanely queer coded and like seeing those like depictions and accepting them and reading them because mm-hmm. while you know s- films are intended to have meetings and to a general populace it may evoke one thing i think the personal reaction to a film is like really powerful right mm-hmm. because if you like can find humanity in people and connect with them and their experience that's like broadening your perspective on the world on these characters on being able to be sympathetic towards outsiders and people from different perspectives like that's kind of how we need to be because in real life there aren't comically evil villains jeff bezos is a prick who hoards money like a freaking dragon but like he's not Lex Luthor. I mean he kinda is Lex Luthor. <laughs> That's the, the thing. Though. Bezos. <laughs> Robot arm laugh. Uh, I mean he he's 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 literally just I mean I guess it's not that evil. He's trying he's just trying to get like what is it, a eighty billion dollars in tax write offs to go to space? Awesome. It's not good. Yeah. You did it. But even people who are doing like comically evil things, scare quotes there, are they have to build up some sort of sympathetic motivations internally to be able to justify those things. I mean, you you could like go all foundations trilogy atlas shrugged objectivist and be like well, actually, it's good to be greedy and a prick. That is the best thing. And that's still, like, you know, a human thing to do where you're like, I, I'm coming up with some moral justification for doing bad shit. Mm-hmm. It's just, I, I think that that's a bit more honest than, like, saying that the humanitarian good of developing space travel uh, and letting the rest of the world die... <laughs> Uh, slow heat death from global warming <laughs> while you and a few people go off into space and like populate Mars. 
is you're like, oh, it's yeah. technically doing a bunch of good, and you're like, you, no, no, you're not. You're, you're justifying your weird sex dreams, but you know, yeah, facts. Hmm. Elon Musk and Jeffrey Bezos going to Mars in a space program and leaving us all to die of heat death and repopulating the world is like of seems reads to me as a fairly clear like Adam and Eve fantasy, right? <laughs> Yeah. What? Yeah, like going <laughs> off understand. and like being the basis of a new planet of a whole new like species of humanity. They're trying to do paralandra. It's it's oh. that it's that mm-hmm. sort of thing where you're, you're gaining power through creating your own like mythology mythological narrative of birth and recreation and it's also tied in with sex because uh, stuff. I don't know. Having I'm... sex and zero gravity? Apparently it's never been done. What? I, I, I saw some All headline on like... On the space station <laughs> and no one's ever thought to try Yeah, it? I saw something on like Tumblr or Twitter oh, or something. Sure of, like, out of it. An article saying like nobody has ever had sex in space and everybody's like, what the fuck are they doing up there then? <laughs> They they're reject Science they're keeping it all. You had course. one job. See, Area Fifty One is not where they keep the aliens. It's where they keep the astronaut sex tapes. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Oh. Uh, you can find us on uh, all the social medias, <laughs> and as we say uh, at the end That's of every episode, <laughs> podcasts were a mistake. <laughs> the ones who are talking about, good about this movie about zero g yeah no, i was the first person who brought it up i regret my it's entire true. life this is fine no i, I let it let the record show anna's the first person to bring up sex in space on this podcast <laughs> okay <laughs> um, um oh okay <laughs> so so this movie is actually very sweet and good actually it is thing. actually very sweet and good. And, and I think I that it. if you were to watch it with people who weren't trained to think about misogynistic tropes, they would be like, eh, it's a good movie. The kid's really cute. Yeah. She smokes I, like a I fiend. Mean, not to throw like a boomer sentence back in our faces, but I kind of wonder like, because we're all kind of like, hmm, hmm, that, I don't know, like it's. Never mind. I don't know if I want to like this. Like, it's obviously there, and it's not just us being sensitive that we see it. Mm-hmm. But I'm also curious, like, if people who aren't training themselves to notice tropes like that, if they don't see it. Well, that yeah, that's kind of that's a question. Is like, is it being so subtle with its commentary that most of the people that are watching it are just going to internalize aspects of like misogyny? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, where it's like, hey, I know that I can use my tits to get things. I know that if I use my bartending license and I wear low-cut shirts, I will get better tips. I know that for a fact. I I, I guess that's the... I don't know. I guess that's the sort of the point that I have is like my childhood was watching a lot of movies that are commenting on things very pointedly. Uh Uh-huh with a family who does not see the commentary and just agrees with the thing that it's depicting. Uh. Like, like 
I don't know. I don't. I'm not. I'm not trying to call any specific person in my family out. But there's lots of times that I've watched movies as a kid, and they are completely laughing at the wrong thing. If you know yeah. what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that also makes me read movies a little bit more strictly <laughs> sometimes because mm. I'm like, I know that if I show this movie to so and so they are going to be like, I don't know, depending on, on how free they are with their language. Oh, that's stupid horror or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's upsetting. Right. But, but And this yeah. is what I was trying to get at in the second hour of the <laughs> Godfather episode that definitely no one was able to power through to get there. It's such a long episode. It's so funny. But like the cultural impact of media is really outside of the control of the makers of media and mm-hmm. sometimes unintended meetings yeah. or like like the Godfather being a the mafia is bad you probably shouldn't join the mafia sort of story doesn't keep it from being interpreted by culture as mafia are so cool i want to be in the mafia uh-huh. i want to be in a patriarchal power structure that treats women badly or or I mean, wolf of wall street fight club <laughs> yeah it's like uh-huh. people see fight club and they're like ah masculinity and I'm like no not yeah that. it's and that's, that's something we see everywhere yeah everywhere <laughs> and that is a positive of aggressively feminist movies like birds of prey and black christmas 2019 uh they wear their politics so aggressively that it does turn off uh everyone who is opposed to their politics mm-hmm. but on the plus side people are definitely not misreading those movies to be pro yeah. the things they're criticizing. Yeah, I know somebody who said that they hated Birds of, Fright, of, of Prey because it was feminist garbage. And I'm like, I, it's, it's so interesting to, to know people who have hmm. just such radically different views. Interesting. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, like you aren't missing it there. And and I wonder, like, I think that's a conversation that I've been wanting to have more and more um, as we're talking about movies in the 70s um, is ethics in cinema. Because mm. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> like... Because you're you're putting something out there into the world that people, even if you're trying to say the opposite thing, lots of people are daft or just want to see the things they want to see, and they're going to misread it in a, in a negative light. And is that is that on the artist? Is that on the piece of art, or is that just on the viewer? Is there some kind of responsibility to be delivering a you know, some sort of ethical or, or moral message. Like, I guess I don't know. Right. Cause like, That's a good if question. we watch paper moon and we enjoy it and see the things that it's doing and are able to appreciate it in the light in which it's, you know, seemingly intended, which isn't, I don't know, all of, all of my reading into, um, uh, what, what is literary theory? the new critics would be so mad at the the suggestion of author intention being included, I guess. 
but but from but from an ethical lens like is it a bad movie or is it on peter bigdonovich or something like that when people are you know bolstered in their misogyny because they misread this movie or quote unquote misread this movie like it is kind of an interesting question like i scoffed at you when you said like god forbid author's intention be included in the analysis and i was like ha that's that's a funny joke because it like and we have the battle of professors at our school and one professor says author's intention is everything and the other professor (laughs) says no it's the reader's uh Mm -hmm. interpretation that's everything and it seems like especially when we're thinking about this question of ethics and film you can't isolate one from the other because It's like, I don't know how to fully, I don't, I don't have an answer, I guess, more than just like, it's important to recognize both. Ha ha ha! Because it's like, if the author is intending to promote misogynistic tropes and say, ha ha, look at Trixie, she got what she deserved, nah nah, then like, and then we look at that and it's like, oh no, like, she's a sympathetic character, like, da 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 the author's intention still matters and affects the message that he's trying to promote. And if he's in agreement with our interpretation that Trixie's a tragic character and deserves sympathy and all this stuff, then Mm. I don't, I don't really have an end to my sentence other than if like, sometimes it can fix it. If the author's intention is to yeah, it at least good. says like I guess I'm I've, I've I'm thinking about eight and a half and Green somebody was like, well, what if, what if he was trying to make this social commentary? Is that better then? And that's an interesting question. Like, does hmm. it make it better if it's? I don't know. This well, is just leading to me being confused yeah, about think how it. I feel about it, satire because I don't give drive a pass. Because people will say, well, it's trying to comment on the the things that it depicts. And it's like, okay, well, it's so absolutely basically not there. And most people I know that enjoy Drive just think it's cool, right? And maybe in a Fight Club sort of way. And I don't know if I'd give a pass to that movie for what Nicholas Winding Refn later says his intention was or something. You know what I mean? unconscious bias right because despite our intentions we uh prepare to have me sound like a college kid who just took drugs live in a society man but we have in like forces that are acting upon us we've been like raised in a system and we unconsciously hold specific biases against things and stuff and those things can actually like manifest themselves in our work and there are many different ways to like combat that like i think the postmodernist movement the thing they try to do is they try and acknowledge it and go as far into acknowledging it as possible and go all bull burnham and inside and <laughs> be like I don't know. I am a white straight man saying stuff and uh, white straight men have been saying stuff for a long time 
and my perspective isn't like has been seen as more valuable than everyone else's for so much longer. Uh, should I just stop talking? Well, except I really want to talk and I kind of need to talk for my own personal mental health. So I'm going to rant and create a one person show that lasts an hour and 90 minutes or something. And put an it on hour Netflix. and 90 minutes, <laughs> three hours, 90 minutes, five seconds and two days on Netflix. It's, it's an yeah. hour and a half. It's 90 minutes. It's... Brain no work, thought hurty. <laughs> Ouch. Um, yeah. I don't know. Hunter, so, say something sexy. Uh, uh, oh, oh, yeah. You save the podcast. Hunter, what? say something sexy. You um, save the podcast. I don't know. Uh, I, I think at one point we were talking about artistic intent. I had thoughts about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I won't try to go too much into it. But like, I feel like if if there is explicit knowledge about the artist intent it probably does at least in the context we were mentioning just says more about the author than it does about the piece you still have to worry about the art itself in its own context and Mm. can come up with your conclusions independent of the author's intent and if it works if it does what they hoped it would do cool and if not then you can be like well maybe your heart was at least kind of in the right place but you missed sure Hmm. i as the person receiving the art make that judgment no one else has to agree with that but that's how i feel and that's all good that's all valid but then, like it does make sense. me think specifically in satire the common like re- uh twitter reply of being like look how this thing that was used for satire originally like it completely intended as satire ended up like you guys were saying like co-opted by the people it was making fun of for their own argument. Like how people say, oh, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. The thing that's impossible. The people who believe that are like, oh, uh-huh, yeah. And then you're yeah, like, pull yourself no, up by I your bootstraps. Like, it was, it's meant to be <laughs> like derisive. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So, so if it's not just like extremely, like the, the comment that I always see is like, if it's not just like extremely obvious, it will be taken up by the wrong people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I think that leaving room for it to not be extremely obvious maybe it getting taken up by the wrong people adds to the joke sometimes. <laughs> it's like, true. See? <laughs> yeah. As long as you're not in that circle. Uh-huh. I don't know what any of that means. Hmm. Carry on. No, that that is interesting. Yeah, I guess it's like you do kind of have to to synthesize all of them because I don't think you have to. Yeah, but, but it yeah. I mean, I think that as the consumer of the thing, the most important thing is just how it it affects you specifically hmm. because at least sort of ascribing to that death of the author view of it's just like it stands on its own and you can watch a movie without knowing anything about the people who made it and get something out of it hmm. and adding extra context to that is interesting but doesn't need to affect what you get out of it i think hmm. Hmm. I kind of like that. Yeah. Letting letting the work speak for itself in a way. Like, obviously, I don't know. But then you kind of get into a tricky thing. Like, I don't know. Now we can start to debate, like, like obviously, like, buzzword, like, cancel culture. But, like, mm-hmm. if we cancel people for the terrible things that they've done, 
I guess I shouldn't, but you know, if we, if we are calling people out for the terrible things that they have done, but then saying that their art can stand alone and you can still get something out of it, which I agree with, like there, there are pieces of art that I really liked. And then I was like, oh, actually you maybe weren't such a great guy after all. Yeah. Ouch. Mm-hmm. But then it, it kind of brings us back to the same question of like, okay, is this behavior like I don't know, like you can't have both, I guess, <laughs> but you have to have both. Dude, am I making sense at all? Like mm-hmm. what I'm trying mm-hmm. to like the yeah. tension that we're living in where it's like sometimes you have to cancel the art because the person is not good. And sometimes it's like you're kind of meh, but your art's really good, so like that's cool. Mm-hmm. Like And sometimes it's like Wow, the thing that you're saying is so different than the way that your art is interpreted. Like yeah. like a Harry Potter. Right. Which is like mm. in spirit a very like warm accepting mm-hmm. kind of a series and then she's not. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, or and I think of um Oh my gosh, the title just blipped out of my brain. I had the thing that I was going to say And it's gone. You're so right. <laughs> Let the conversation move on without what? me. <laughs> it makes me think of movies like uh, Woody Allen's oeuvre generally mm-hmm. and like Luke Besson's film mm-hmm. uh, Leon or some uh, Kim Ki-duk huh, movies yeah. where uh-huh. the uh, the films themselves might actually be objectionable on a level because they are intimate sort of like narcissistic not in a derogatory thing just kind of like films about the self focused on the self that are so intertwined to the negative aspects of the self that we're reacting to that once you know that like the relationship between the assassin and the underage girl in leon is based off of the director and writer's life, real life relationship with an underage girl, and he originally wanted to write a sex scene in the movie, it suddenly makes the movie very unpleasant. Uh Uh-huh. You know? mm. Yeah. No, I remember what I was going to say. What what, what were you going to say? I was going to bring up Picasso and Mm. how he was, like, (laughs) a not not great person in real life, but, like, his art. Bookubism. Shout out to Hannah Gatsby. Uh, where it's like, okay, we still post Picasso things and stuff. Mm-hmm. We could probably talk endlessly about the the critic and the artist and the audience and the universe and the work itself. And I have thoughts and I have theories because I am taking a class on that right now. However... Well, let's talk we about this cinematography, baby. Oh, yeah. Or we could talk about the cinematography, which is good and pretty and nice. It's really pretty and nice. And it's and got buttery. a good soundtrack. And um, and it the movie ends in a nice way. Yeah. And oh. I like it. And I want to talk about it more. But I'm afraid I'm tired. So and cinema. we're all so busy you with our lives. Great. And 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 also you can find us at movieoverloadpod.com. Hunter, find the quote. Where we have all of our things. Quick, find the quote. And, and as if you have if uh, just at at the listener, if you have thoughts about what we've been talking about, you should DM us or 
comment on our review for this film or yeah let's have a conversation inter act you freaks we we might inter freaking act with anna freaking chase it's me talk about your thoughts uh there we go i gave you i gave you an a long uh also, for you to uh, comment on negatively and talk about Don't give us money on Patreon, you capitalist thugs. What? You, you yeah. Don't, don't don't you dare don't distribute do your wealth. D- don't don't. Please give us your money. Don't. How dare you? Don't do it. As we say at the end of every episode of this podcast, when we do a thing and Hunter has to say a line. I want my two hundred dollars. Hooray. Hooray. Hooray! That was sad. We already said that one. That was a cheat. Yeah, yeah no, it's, wait, it's fine. Say something about Frank Lowe. What does he call him? Frankie Roosevelt? Frank. Frankie. His name's Franklin. Franklin. Yeah, you're right. Frankie. That's what he says. He does say that. Um. Okay, are we done? Is that, I, is that, the, is that the podcast? Okay, podcast is over. Sure. Press all the buttons. Bye, friends! Oh beep, beep. Beep, beep. Wow. Uh, that's the camel noise. <laughs>